Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Kevin L. Jackson with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Kevin, how are you doing this morning? It snowed. <laughs> <laughs> we had our first snowfall here in the Washington, D.C. area. Oh, wow. Well, it was just a dusting. Okay. So, you know, no accidents. Uh, it's already melted away. No, not even report by 10 o'clock. But it's a sign, a sign from above that it's winter. <laughs> it is. It is. And for your sake, I'm glad it was just a dusting because if you're a bad driver in the <laughs> snow too. like I am, we don't need to be locked in due to some snow on the ground, right? Right. Exactly. I saw something on YouTube okay. about the polar vortex. Okay. And apparently it's really strong right now. And we're going to have this El Nino. and when you have an El Nino and a strong polar vortex, there's a yeah. high probability of a blizzard in the East Coast and Northeast. Okay. So it may be a bad year this year. You know, I'm going to think optimistically. I remember getting that polar vortex <laughs> a few months back, and it was the coldest weather we've mm -hmm. seen in Georgia in years. But we're going to think warm, optimistic thoughts. How's that sound, Kevin? Warm, warm thoughts. Warm thoughts here today. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> well, we uh, have our audience to bring some warm thoughts to us. Yes, that's right, Kevin. And you know, today, as folks know, it's a special edition of the Buzz, the Digital Transformers edition of the Buzz, on the second Monday of each month. And as always, we're going to be discussing a variety of news and developments today across global business, with that extra helping of all things technology today. So we want to hear from you, as Kevin was just suggesting. We want your warm thoughts. We want your take on what you're seeing. Your take on the stories we're going to be talking about. So give us your comments there in the chat. And hey, if you're listening to the podcast replay, which we typically drop on Fridays, you ought to consider joining us live on LinkedIn, YouTube, or other social media channels of your choosing on Mondays at 12 noon Eastern time. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, Kevin, I'm going to go ahead and share a few resources out there with folks mm -hmm. on the front end. Then we've got, uh, I think, four stories to get through. We're going to talk about also the latest episode of Digital Transformers. We've got a lot of good stuff. And I want to start with this unique resource. So folks, if you're not aware, Kevin L. Jackson was a naval aviator. So he and I love to talk flying and aviation on a regular basis. He's a Navy veteran. I'm an Air Force veteran. So there's that friendly rivalry. I wish I was as cool as an aviator, but I'm not. Kevin's the cool one here. But I've been watching this YouTube <laughs> I've been watching this YouTube channel for quite some time called Green Dot Aviation. Now, we all know the critical role that aviation plays in global supply chain, right? Global business. We also all know how aviation is so technological these days, right? Well, Green Dot Aviation goes into a lot of mishaps, you know, from years back, from current, you name it. Not all deadly mishaps, but it really goes into and identifies root cause failures both from a technology standpoint and 
from like a psychology standpoint, right? Because these crews have to work together to transport people and cargo safely. Well, over the weekend, Kevin, I saw where our friends at Green Dot Aviation went into Malaysian Flight 370, which we really lost. And everyone's still trying to figure out, you know, what happened way back on March 8, 2014. And it's fascinating stuff. So I want to share that all with y'all out there. Green Dot Aviation, if you're looking for some really intriguing content this week on maybe your commute or your downtime or what have you. Kevin, I know you and I chatted just briefly about MH370. That's a really intriguing tragedy, huh? Yeah. One of the things that is really puzzling is the fact that the uh, plane started out east and then made a loop and turned around west to go over uh, Indonesia and Malaysia. And it wasn't even near where it's supposed to be. And what's kind of amazing is that, I guess, Malaysian military saw it as it occurred, but didn't say anything to the air traffic controllers, right? right? A plane going in the wrong direction over military airspace, and they didn't talk. Why? And then it just sort of stays over the Pacific and goes south into the middle of nowhere. I know there was talk about maybe it was suicide by the right. captain, but we'll see. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Y'all should, to Kevin's point there, based on some sources, it's like the pilot, the captain of the plane, Flew right between air. Airspace between Indonesia. Yes. It kind of flew on the border of airspace between Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam. And so none of the airspaces really owned the aircraft. And that really allowed the aircraft to be well on its way to whatever they were trying to do without it hitting their radar. So it's really fascinating. There's lots of content out there, but I want to give you all something in case you're looking for new channels. There's so many of them out there, but check out Green Dot Aviation. They're doing some great work and it's really, really fascinating. Okay, Kevin. Yeah, got another mystery to uh, solve. No kidding. There's plenty of those out there, right? All right. So with that said, changing gears, with that said, over the weekend, our latest weekly newsletter, we're going to drop the link, check it out. We cover a lot of news from across the global business world, some stories that I bet may have slipped your radar here lately. Uh, we also include some resources like we always do because we want to you know, enable y'all to navigate the business world more successfully. And Kevin, we included a really cool episode that our friends over at Logistics with Purpose have recently released with one of the senior supply chain leaders from L'Oreal. And Kevin, our own Amanda Luton sat in as a co-host on that episode. How cool is that? <laughs> Wow. You know, I'm going to have to uh, talk to Amanda. I'm getting kind of worried. She may take over all of the air. and <laughs> She's getting really good at that. Yes, she is. She's proved in that episode, just the latest time, that she's better at that than both of us are. How about that? But hey, y'all check it out. <laughs> and you can find it in the latest episode of With That Said. One click away, we drop that in the chat. Okay, Kevin. Let's dive into this first story. Tell y'all, this may not be surprising you here today that the tech workforce sector, well, is really hot. So putting our finger on the pulse of the tech labor market, as reported here by DICE, analysis of data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, that's BLS. We love our acronyms, right? Well, it says that tech unemployment in November 2023, so last month, what dipped to 1.7%. Tech unemployment dipped to 1.7% well below the overall national unemployment rate of 3.5%. Well, that doesn't surprise anybody, right? 
with everything that's going on, all the interest in, in finding and, and onboarding, hiring and onboarding top tech talent. Well, it's probably also no surprise that for the first time ever, that's right, I think for the first time in workforce data history, AI-related jobs accounted for more than 10% of all the tech job postings out in the market. According to a recent study by Amazon Web Services and Access Partnership, it may also not surprise you that it really pays well more than you even know to know AI, as their research indicates that employers are willing to pay an average of 47% more for tech candidates with AI skills. Man, 47% more. And here's some practical insights from yet one more research piece out there. O'Reilly Media has released its new Generative AI in the Enterprise Report, where it finds that the following five skills are those most desired by companies hiring workers for Gen AI projects. Count them off with me. AI programming, data analysis, AI and ML, machine learning, general AI literacy, and data infrastructure engineering. We're going to be dropping that article in the chat and let us know what you're seeing out there. Or maybe whether you're a candidate in the marketplace, you let us know what you're seeing. Or if you're hiring that tech talent, especially that AI tech talent, we'd love to know what you are seeing as well. All right, Kevin, any thoughts on what you're seeing out there across the tech hiring landscape? Well, I see that everyone is really wants to jump on the AI bandwagon, but not many organizations know how best to use it, how to integrate that artificial intelligence in a way that actually supports their business models and their business goals. It seems like it's, you know, whiz bang entertainment right now. Right. They're not really bringing out the business value, but there's, there's a huge amount of business value it can really accelerate decision processes and make those decisions much better by leveraging data. Well said. I'm going to steal that term, whiz-bang entertainment out there. I think that can apply to a lot of things. All right. Talking about blockchain, I just talked about how kind of AI has really dominated tech conversations and supply chain, it seems here lately. But this is a seven-point list in terms of ways that blockchain helps accelerate digital transformation. So, Kevin, tell us more. Yeah, as I was saying before, the blockchain is quietly but very quickly becoming an important transformation force in every industry vertical. Supply chain and manufacturing are two of the most innovative areas that this technology is being implemented. Algier actually is one of Germany's leading digital transformation technology companies, and, and they are pushing blockchain in seven specific areas. One as a standard for digital transactions because of instead of having to store your data locally, blockchain is a virtual database that can be stored on a network where all users, companies, your business partners and customers can use the network to access a local copy of the database. It's also blockchain is an accelerator of business processes and speed becomes really a crucial factor for setting your organization apart from your competitors. And in supply chain, it just maximizes transparency in every transaction across the supply chain from procurement of raw materials to production to distribution and sale of the end product. Uh, the other area, number four, was delivering improved connectivity. The internet of things is just changing the nature of business. 
all these devices that are connected to the internet, streamlines industrial production and cloud-based services, and smart contracts. I'm sure many of you heard of smart contracts, but they can automatically modify information in a way that you can trust. Smart contracts can be made in advance and are tamper-proof and transparent. They can revolutionize business processes. And then blockchain is really a fuel for financing. It's creating and managing cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And finally, blockchain is really great in competition because Many large companies will require their contractors and subcontractors to convert their interfaces to blockchain for certain business processes. So if you're not looking or implementing blockchain today, you're already behind your competitors. Well said, Kevin. Well said. And just a few other thoughts there. You touched on a couple of these in terms of some of the ways blockchain is being leveraged across global supply chain. Mm -hmm product authentication, and establishing that provenance, which is one of our favorite words around here, right? Yeah, that's Greg's favorite, right? That's right. <laughs> We've all seen how important that is always, but in the last few years in particular, better quality control, detecting those defects in products and getting them out of the supply chain and the flow of products sooner and more reliably. Kevin touched on one of my favorites, that those smart contracts. Those are favorites of mine. In some cases, oftentimes, Kevin, because they eliminate paperwork. And man, I hate paperwork and all the manual jobs yeah. that it can be associated with, right? So the list goes on and on. And I would just challenge you. And Kevin, I hope you agree with me because you're the smartest one in the room. But Mark Twain came to my mind as I was reading this article and kind of hearing your take, mm -hmm. because just because AI is getting all the lip service, right? And the attention, a lot of investment, and we don't hear as much about blockchain, the death of blockchain perhaps has been grossly exaggerated. Would you agree, Kevin? Well, actually, blockchain is growing rapidly. And what's really interesting is the way that artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain are merging into new services, consumer services, business-to-business -business services, and it's in enhancing or accelerating all of these business processes. So it's not one or the other. You right. know, it's everything all together. <laughs> Well said. The power of the and, I think you and I the and, and Greg yes. have spoken about, right? Yeah, one of our uh, great sponsors. Yes. AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, AT&T. I love that, Kevin. All right. Well, hey, don't take our word for it. Check out the article, The Seven Ways Blockchain Helps Businesses Accelerate Digital Transformation, and give us your take on that. Okay, so moving right along, Kevin, let me pull up this next story. Now, here's a fair warning, Kevin. Fair warning, fair <laughs> okay. warning. We're about to make all of y'all out there really hungry, really hungry. So I'm just going to warn you in case you're stuck in the office for a little while or stuck at home for a little while, we're going to be switching gears and talking about the provider, <laughs> <laughs> the provider of the world's most delicious French fries. That's right. Mickey D's. Well, according to CIO Dive, they're investing further into the cloud so they can supersize analytics and more powerfully leverage artificial intelligence. Kevin, tell us what you're seeing here. So the first thing that jumped into my mind was one of the first times I went to Europe and I went to McDonald's and they gave me mayonnaise to dip my <laughs> French fries in. 
don't know. But it was good. So if you ever go to McDonald's in Europe, that's a big thing. Belgium. Yes. I, I was in Belgium. But anyway, <laughs> McDonald's tapped Google Cloud to really infuse cloud-based analytics across all of its thousands of restaurants around the world. And they have developed, you guessed it, custom AI in order to support and make decisions better to uh, support their customers. This is a, a multi-year partnership that spans hardware, data, and AI technologies. And it deploys the Google distributed cloud compute and storage to individual restaurants next year. And as part of this partnership, Google Cloud is placing a dedicated team at McDonald's headquarters in Chicago. They probably get free fries for this. It's at McDonald's BD Labs, which is a innovation hub to explore more generative AI use cases. So you go to McDonald's now, they got that big uh, screen to order everything, you know, and uh, I guess it's going to be a generative AI being there now to uh, welcome and talk with you as you order your fries. You won't have to press those sticky buttons anymore. Oh, that is music <laughs> to my ears. So admittedly, Kevin, and you make can relate, I can't go to McDonald's as often as I used to back in the day, right? But <laughs> one of the last times I went, to your point, my family and I ordered our meals in the kiosk, right? Yeah. And as the pseudo-germaphobe that I am, uh, you hit the <laughs> nail on the head. You know, I almost wanted to wear gloves as I was punching our orders, but uh, hey, we're all progressing. You know, these quick service operators got to find ways of adding efficiencies, especially Kevin, when they're trying to knock out that lunch crowd who's got, you know, 15 minutes to get in and out and get served and hopefully mm -hmm. get served some quality food. So I'm looking forward to robots, cobots, whatever you want to call them, bringing out the orders <laughs> to us, right? Refilling our drinks, you name it. All right. So now that we've made everybody hungry. With this <laughs> delicious picture of these McDonald's fries, second to none. What makes oh, those man. French fries so good? And you know what? I'm willing to try. I like mayo on everything, maybe, but my fries. <laughs> but hey, I'll lean into different strokes for different folks for sure. Before we move on to our third story, I want to get you to tell us more about the most recent episode of Digital Transformers. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this episode came on the heels of your visit to this company's site. So tell us more about yeah. SES Satellites. This satellite company is amazing. They're based out of Luxembourg, okay? And many people may not have heard of SES Satellites, but they um, have low Earth orbit satellites and medium Earth orbit satellites. And actually, about three weeks ago, they launched their latest addition into medium Earth orbit. Yeah. Now, what they really specialize in is providing high bandwidth service to remote areas like the continent of Africa, and in the middle of the ocean. Their biggest clients and customers are the cruise liners. You know, <laughs> you would think you go on a cruise liner to get away from the internet, but, but the no, cruise no. liner customers are complaining that they don't have access. So now their satellites in medium Earth orbit are basically creating large spots of connectivity that follow the cruise ships <laughs> around so that no matter where the cruise ship is, it you have high bandwidth access. And uh, Call runs 
their cloud services. The other thing that this enables is island nations, you know, in the Pacific and the Caribbean that did not have good connectivity can now have huge access and connectivity to improve business and enable the economic growth in some of these remote islands because now they can connect to the world. So it was a fascinating conversation I had with Call. So we released it today. So check it out. Love it. And folks, that is episode 72. Man, you and the team have been hard at work cranking it out. Sounds like a fascinating latest episode and conversation. And as you mentioned, you actually were able to put your eyes and and ears by visiting the site there up in, what was that, Virginia, Kevin, you visited? Actually, surprisingly enough, it's about 20 minutes from my home. Okay. They have a network operations center and a satellite operations center sitting right next to one in this descript building outside of Manassas, Virginia. You go in there and you step into, you know, 2050. <laughs> and, they, you know, they, you can see the satellites where they are and they have this visualization of the earth of where the communication spots. And it's just, yep. you know, literally, okay, there's a ship right there. We're providing our bandwidth through that, that cruise liner right there, you know. So it was just fascinating. And mm. the business is just booming. Yes, it sure is. Next time I'm going to join you for that tour. I hated to miss it this time. Adam makes a great point. So Adam, great to have you here via LinkedIn. He says the oil and gas industry relies heavily on satellite communications for real-time data feeds. You know, to Adam's point, Kevin, way Mm -hmm. back in the day, my first startup, we were fortunate to be hosted for one of our events at, I think it was GE Power at the time. It could have been a variation on that name. It was kind of the old, the previous chapter of GE, right? Not quite what Uh it's doing now. And it was like, Kevin, it was like mission control. So what this massive ceiling height and Mm -hmm. room-wide mission control screen was tracking was all of their high volume industry pumps around the world, right? And to Adam's point, they had sensors and they were making sure that they were performing how they should be because the first indication very first indication that something's wrong, you know, they were going to diagnose it or send a SWAT team out or you name it. And it was so cool. You mentioned 2050. I felt like I had stepped into 2,500 in a space odyssey uh, with my <laughs> visit to GE Power. And of course, that was probably 10 years ago. I can only imagine how the technology has evolved now. Kevin, your quick thoughts yeah. on what Adam mentioned. Well, the oil and gas industry is one of SES Satellites' largest customer segments. Okay. And all of the offshore oil platforms, because as the search for oil gets profitable, even as we try to dependence upon fossil fuels, they're digging deeper into the ocean and they're farther and farther away from the coast. And all of the sensors on the machinery, they need to be monitored. So they need to be connected to the internet. There's huge amounts of data that flow from those platforms. Yeah. So he's absolutely right. Yep. Very cool. And also, as we've talked about, I love what SES satellites and many other players are doing to bridge that digital divide, both in the commercial space, but also just in the do good space. You know, we've got a lot of folks that are experiencing that digital divide that holds them back in many ways. So I love how the world is coming together in many ways to cross that divide. Yeah, there was a video I saw that SES provided to me about this woman who owned a hotel. 
in the Galapagos Islands. <laughs> and her business was actually going away and dying because the guests didn't have access to the internet really? from the island. Right, right. So she was about to go out of business because everyone wanted to come, but they didn't want to be disconnected until she was able to get service from the Empower. That's a, the OB3 Empower satellite system. Okay. To get connectivity to her hotel on the island. So now the bell is ringing. <laughs> well, you know, if you ask me, if I ever get a chance to go to the Galapagos, I can't even say it right. I guess I got to say it right to be able to visit Galapagos Islands. Yeah, I think Galapagos I got it right. Island, yeah. And if I get a chance to see those world famous iconic tortoises, and I can't share it with the world via social media, that put a little damper on my visit as well. But it makes so much sense. We all want to stay connected, whether we're working <laughs> or we're out on leisure or you name it. That's just the state of things across global society. But look, really cool, Kevin. Looking forward to tuning in to that latest episode of Digital Transformers, which folks, you can find, we dropped a link to it in the chat, but you can find Digital Transformers with Kevin L. Jackson wherever you get your proverbial podcast from. Okay, Kevin, so we're going to go into our next story here. Now, as we all know, Kevin, if we don't inspect what we expect, we don't make progress. We got to measure what we manage, right? Now, here's an interesting read from engineering.com that shares 12 proven metrics to measure your digital transformation and progress there. So, Kevin, tell us more. This article really focuses on the challenges of supply chain transformation. And according to Microsoft research on leading manufacturing companies worldwide, most manufacturers have faced several challenges related to data change management, incomplete OTIT integration, and applications development. And that can really put a damper on any transformation in your business. And the number one, the first challenge they mentioned was you need to make sure you have a culture in place that will accept and support the transformation. A good digital first environment is characterized by data-driven decision-making, which is not possible without efficient cross-functional collaboration and data. And you need a good culture to put that in place. You know, people, <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so ensuring data integrity is also a really important aspect because you have to align, match, and have continuity over time. Data cleansing, occasionally automated with artificial intelligence, plays a crucial role. Real-time data from shop floors, sensors, these are really pivotal for immediate insight and action because you need to have visibility in that quality. Microsoft also saw that more manufacturers are showing an interest in establishing these robust connection with the shop floor assets, robots, okay, to unlock operational efficiency, to refine quality control processes, and to make more informed decisions. Finally, you need to focus on making your supply chain sustainable. Mm. Okay, this means sustainability reporting tools to provide comprehensive tracking and analysis of environmental and social impacts. This gives the business 
ability to make informed decisions, to ensure regulatory compliance, and to be able to communicate their sustainability practices. Because your clients, your customers want to know that you're operating a sustainable business. Yeah. Clients, customers, team members, suppliers, you name it, investors, all of them these days. That's the demand. That is a lot of good stuff there. And I would just add, and we're dropping the link, those metrics to measure your digital transformation there in the chat. But I would just add it from a sheer supply chain management standpoint. Some of the metrics that come to my mind, Kevin, when we talk about Mm -hmm. how to see how your digital transformation is paying off in your organization. Of course, Productivity gains or, or gains in on-time delivery or on-time right. in full ODIF, right? User experience, customer experience. I would even say supplier experience, which more and more, thankfully, is becoming a thing. Adoption rates. Kevin, you mm-hmm. know as well as I do, we've talked a lot here that just because you roll out a wonderful piece of technology or a platform, if your users and your team members don't adopt it, what do you get? Not a whole heck of a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. How are we measuring adoption rates, the overall return on investment, all sorts of different ways. And again, despite the football on this, as all of our supply chain leaders and practitioners out there, business leaders out there listening, we just got to measure it in order to manage it. Otherwise, we are working and leading in the blind, you know? So the thing that really I'd like to double tap on is culture, right? You don't need culture with robots. You need culture with people. And right. without people you won't be successful. So always in any transformation activity, digital or otherwise, bring the people along. Don't forget to talk to them. Make sure you answer that question. You know, what's in it for me? That with them is critical. I am with you. That's one of my favorite acronyms because that's whether they actually pose that question or not, you know, they're thinking about it. Okay. What does all this mean? What's in it for me? That's a great call out, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned sustainability. Again, we were checking (laughs) out this article from engineering.com, 12 proven metrics to measure your digital transformation. Y'all check that out. One of the things that Kevin mentioned was sustainability. It's so critically important here in 2023. And Deepak says sustainability with real-time CO2 emissions calculations in supply chain. Well, that plays a really important role. That's a great call out, uh, Deepak. You're right. And one of the things I was going to, on a related note to emissions, I saw, Kevin, one of the stories we featured in With That Said, which we shared on the front end, was at the Net Zero Nuclear Summit at COP28 in Dubai, the Sapporo 5 got together. Now, when I I heard Sapporo 5, I thought of the beer, Uh, Kevin. I don't know about you, (laughs) but the Sapporo 5 is the U.S., Canada, France, Japan, and the United Kingdom. Well, that group of five countries has agreed to facilitate efforts to create $4.2 billion in public-private investments to continue to help develop the global nuclear power industry, which, you know, I think is going to be critical to finding a more sustainable energy approach in the years ahead, right? Yeah, you know, yesterday on uh, 60 Minutes, there was a great article on the governor of Wyoming. And it was kind of interesting because Wyoming is, when it comes to coal, it's the number one coal producer okay. in the country. Yep. But they're also launching one of the newest, if not the newest, nuclear power plant in the country. Okay. Also, this year, they just commissioned it. And the governor is a Republican, okay? And I have nothing against Republicans, but... <laughs> <laughs> he is also a pro-sustainment 
pro-climate change, okay? And the whole premise behind the story there is that you can be red and green at the same time. Red Republican and green, he's uh, supporting climate change in a state that, like I said, is the number one producer of coal in, in the country. Well, you know, I think there's lots of common ground practical, successful, common ground if we go looking for it. And we hope to see more of that, regardless of what country you live in, in the weeks and months ahead. One other thing that comes to my mind, Kevin, that sounds like that will be one of the latest nuclear power projects here in the States. Here in Georgia, where we live, they just, I want to say a couple months ago, I believe, they concluded the Plant Vogel addition, where they added another nuclear reactor in, in a project that I believe went well past budget like a lot of these do, Mm. but uh, I believe it's online and creating power now. So, you know, I really think I am no nuclear power expert. That was not my gift. Mathematics (laughs) and and engineering was not my gift, but I think hopefully we're giving the nuclear power industry a second look as we look to find more sustainable path moving forward. So we'll see. Wyoming is also building the country's largest wind farm. (laughs) they're putting up like 600 wind turbines there in a pass by the rocky mountains that would provide power for over a million homes apparently they don't even have a million homes in wyoming (laughs) but they're going to be selling that power to california who's hurting for it right wow so this is uh it's a lot going on there is a lot going on. Now, I, I wonder, <laughs> Kevin, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to tap into the hot air market when all those business leaders from around the world fly into Jackson Hole <laughs> and talk a lot about what should yeah. be going on. Uh, that exactly. could probably power millions of windmills uh, as I think about it. But uh, kidding aside, I'm kidding. The whole Jackson Hole region and, of course, the city of Jackson, Wyoming is such a beautiful place in you the world. You just went there, didn't you? We did. Ben and I made a trip. He wanted to see some mountains and it was just a great time, Kevin. Okay. So Kevin, great show here today. We walked through a bunch of resources for folks, four really cool stories. And of course, the latest episode of Digital Transformers here on this Digital Transformers edition of The Buzz, which again, comes at y'all every Monday, 12 noon Eastern time, almost without fail. Kevin, how can folks connect with you and the cool projects you're up to there, whether it's Digital Transformers or many other things you're up to? How can folks connect with you? Well, you can always catch me on LinkedIn, Kevin L. Jackson, or on X, Kevin underscore Jackson, and on supplychainnow.com. So I'm there. That's right. That is right. Moving at the speed of light is one (laughs) Kevin L. Jackson. Kevin, really appreciate what you're doing out there in industry. Always a pleasure to collaborate with you. We've got some really cool episodes coming out, recorded podcasts. Kevin and I sat down with our friends at Village Reach which are doing some really yeah. important things to provide access to healthcare for, I think, 70 million people, Kevin. Right, across the continent. That was amazing how they support the uh, healthcare industry across all those countries on the continent of Africa. That's huge. That's right. 54 countries across the continent and all sorts of you know different governments and policies and populations and customs. You know, a lot of folks don't think of that when they think of the African continent, but that's critical. So y'all check out villagereach.org and stay tuned for some really great programming as we continue our supply chain leadership series, which focuses on all the great things going on across the continent of Africa. All right. Big thanks to Kevin L. Jackson. Kevin, always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much, Scott. I'm glad I was able to hang out here. 
You bet. Big thanks to Catherine Amanda. As Kevin said, man, we stand on the shoulders of giants around here. But hey, take one thing, take one idea from what we chatted about here today, the articles, the resources, the views, you name it. Kevin's brilliance he brought by the plane load, not the truck load, the plane load here today. <laughs> take at least one thing, put it into action. It's about deeds, not words. You know, Blessed are folks that actually do something with what needs to be done, not just talk about it, right? So with that said, on behalf of the entire team here, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.